wanted to mention a couple of things real quickly. The, you have a copy of the Missions Festival brochure in your bulletin. Next weekend is our uh, Missions Festival. It'll be Sunday. It'll be basically the regular schedule, except we'll have... We will have a, a special Sunday school with electives for you to hear from different missionaries about our work that they're doing, and then we'll have our brunch, an international brunch afterwards. So uh, there's a schedule. Uh, there will be different classes. Basically, there will be three different electives uh, for the adults where you'll get to hear different missionaries. So this gives you a chance. You can read through and uh, look ahead of time to see which ones you might want to hear. And all uh, our community groups, some of them have... Uh, relocated when you're meeting uh, to Monday or Tuesday, and there'll be community groups every single night, and you can crash any of the community groups if you want to come here uh, from the missionaries. We'll be talking about the ministry that's uh, going on. Uh, and I also want to, you'll notice there's a little pledge card. Our uh, missions budget is separate from our regular budget. We have a underwrite of 5% of our general budget that goes towards missions, but then we, we take pledges uh, for the remaining amount. And so if you could be praying about that, we, the missions committee uh, has put together a dream budget that the session has approved on the front end to try to in increase our giving to our missionaries and open up uh, opportunity to add some more missionaries. So if, if, you're, if you've already made a pledge, it it's always starts brand new. Okay, our fiscal year for our missions runs from April 1st to May 31st, so we have one more month for this past year, and we're in great shape. We're uh, ahead of schedule. Uh, Y'all have been very generous to help us take care of our missionaries, and we're very thankful for that. Uh, but if everybody needs to re-up uh, for the amount, and, and just a little tip, when you write in the amount, please be sure to indicate whether it's weekly if your amount that you wrote down is weekly, monthly, or annually, uh, and the, we don't track you on what you give. This just helps us for our planning. Okay, the missions committee, the final budget we actually use will come from what's actually pledged. So we look at these and we compile so we can make our budget and then we set them aside. And uh, we want to encourage you to you know, ask the Lord, say, give me boldness uh, of, of how, how we might give uh, for you this year and how you'll provide for us. Uh, and then, guys, we've got one more week uh, to uh, sign up for the men's retreat, too, so uh, please take note of that. The, we've been studying, as, as Kurt was talking about, wisdom literature. You know, the book of Proverbs is the first thing that comes to mind when we think of wisdom uh, literature. And the book of Proverbs, over and over and over again, with, with assorted Proverbs, it gives this picture of, of kind of the way God's world generally works, that as we honor him, as we trust him, as we fear him, he'll bless us, uh, as we live for ourselves, what he calls foolishness. Foolishness isn't about being dumb. Foolishness is about, well, it is dumb to leave God out of the picture, but it's leaving God out of the picture, very particularly, and that, that that'll work against us. And I've, I've had times over the years as a pastor where I've talked to folks, and sometimes they cite the Proverbs, uh, like they're laws. The Proverbs are not laws. Uh, they're, they're the general trend of how God's world works. However, God also gives us the book of Ecclesiastes that we're studying as really a companion for the book of Proverbs to say Proverbs is how God generally works. But Ecclesiastes tells us 
it's a lot messier than that. The lines are not nearly as straight as we'd like for them to work. The, the formulas don't always work out uh, the way we expect. And uh, we, we see that in our passage this morning. This morning we're going to uh, hear the, the, the difficulties of living in wisdom, let alone finding wisdom. And uh, in particularly, we're going to look at how to live in wisdom in light of the brokenness that's in the world. And Ecclesiastes has told us because of Genesis 2, because Adam or Genesis 3, rather, because Adam fell into sin, God brought a curse. And it's because of the curse. That's what we're, we're living in a world that's cursed, and the curse affects everything. And that's what makes living wisely a challenge. So I'm going to begin reading Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 15. Uh, it is page, sorry, I meant to check for it, 556 if you have a pew Bible. And we're going to read up through chapter 8, verse 9. Hear the Lord. In my vain life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this. And from that, withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom. I said, I'll be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness and folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say... Keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not stake, take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, 
For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. We need to pray. Let's ask God to help us uh, kind of piece this together and, and uh, draw some helpful understanding from it. Father, as, as we come to this word, this which you, you spoke, you gave to the, the writer Koheleth, the, the preacher. And he, he wrote down and you caused it to preserve, be preserved for millennia, thousands of years. Because you knew that even though it's really different, hard to wrap our heads around, uh, it, is, it is speaking your truth. And so we ask that your spirit who gave this truth will, will give us understanding. Uh, and help us apply it. Or do you know what each one of us needs here? So help us use it uh, for your glory so we'll know you and love you more. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. In a lot of ways, some of the pieces of that feel like the book of Proverbs where it goes from proverb to proverb and they can feel kind of disjointed, but they actually combine pretty well. The, The... Verses we read at the last part of that chapter 7 uh, will give us uh, an insight on living in wisdom uh, in face of uh, just pervasive sin, all the brokenness we talked about in the world. And then the, the last part in chapter 8 uh, gives us a picture on how do we live in wisdom with regard to our government uh, in light of government, their government, governments of any day. So first of all, this first part sets us up to be thinking about how do we have wisdom in light of the pervasiveness of sin. And remember, we talked about how with original sin, Genesis 3, it tells us that everything's broken. Everything's touched. And the very first verse I read gives us a a window. He says, in my vain life, I've seen everything. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his doing. And that feels the flip side from what it is that Proverbs tells us. Proverbs over and over says, if you seek wisdom, if you do right before the Lord, you'll be blessed with a long life and you'll have wealth, etc. And if you don't, if you live in wickedness, your life will be cut short and, and, and things will be shrunk on you. Your life just won't, won't work. It won't be uh, flourishing. And yet, in his observations, this writer, Koheleth is his Hebrew name. We call him the, pre- the preacher or the teacher, the, the assembler. He says, I've seen just the opposite happen. And it's confusing. And it's, and it's frustrating when, when somebody tries to do what's right and, and it blows up on them. I mean, you've, you know, you've had that happen. You try hard and you're trying to serve the Lord. You try to be faithful and the wheels fall off. Right? And, you, and meanwhile, you're, you're seeing other people who are just pitifully irresponsible. And yet... You know, everything just seems to unfold gloriously uh, for them in their world. And, I mean, writers of the Psalms talk about that. Why do the wicked prosper? This just doesn't, doesn't feel right. I do want to have a side note. To, as parents, your children will notice this. You know, they want to point out to you the exceptions. They say, wait a minute, you know, they're, 
not doing right and everything seems to be working out great for them. And you're going to have a temptation to, in order to kind of reinforce the, the Proverbs trajectory to say it only looks like everything's working out in their life. And a lot of times that can be the case. But sometimes what's going to happen is your children are going to grow up and they're going to come into the world with some of those people and everything is coming together pretty well for them because sometimes that happens. So we want to be careful of what we portray as laws and what we portray as, as general uh, proverbs because those children may say, okay, well, that paradigm isn't true and, and they bail on the faith because they assume that trajectory was there. And they're kind of looking for an off-ramp anyway, but that gives them good reasons to jump, jump on that off-ramp. So the first thing that he says when he, when he talks about this difficulty of life not working out the way that we expect it to, I mean, I, I was reading this, this weekend about in, in China, a, a Chinese woman whose father had passed away, and he had been a believer for many years, and he'd been persecuted for many years. And when he died, the government required them, forced them to have a secular funeral. And she said, you know, he was persecuting his life, and he was persecuting his death. What's the, the response the writer of Ecclesiastes feels like he has is like, why bother? Right? It's not going to work for you. Now, for people who have the privilege of, of living in persecuted countries, they, they, don't, they don't fall for the, the straight lines of Proverbs. They realize that being faithful for God isn't because of what you're going to get out of it, because that's not generally going to happen. There, there's a lot more cost to following Christ and being faithful to the Lord than there, than there is benefit an awful lot of the time. There's rich life that we draw from it, but they, they don't fall into the injustice. I mean, look at these verses uh, 16 and 17. says, the writer responds, he says, don't be overly righteous and don't make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? He says, don't be overly wicked or be a fool. Why should you die before your time? He says, it's good that you should take hold of this and, and, and not let go of it with your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. I mean, is he saying that righteousness is optional? Or that you can just go ahead and be wicked as long as you just keep it in little bits and pieces? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? What, 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 what he's saying poetically by using these extremes is... If you fall into the trap of using righteousness, wanting to live for God, wanting to honor God and do what he wants, and you're trying to use that to get leverage, you're trying to use that to, to coerce God, uh, to put him in a corner so he's got to treat you nice, it's, it, 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 you're not going to necessarily get that payoff because that's not how he works. He, he, rather, I mean, you know, we, we, we want to get our way. And a lot of times it's real easy to just subtly kind of slide into that temptation where we're trying to coerce God or force his hand. And we ought to expect, expect you're going to land there at times. That's going to, all of us, sometime or another, there's going to be something we really want and we're, we're just trying to find a way to, to manipulate God. That's just kind of what classic paganism is. All the pagan religions are about, if you do this to honor your God, if you make this kind of sacrifice, etc., then you can get the God to give you what you want. And really what ends up happening in those situations is it's not about serving God, it ends up being about using God, isn't it? I mean, it ends up, I'm in the God seat trying to get God to serve me by serving him. Yeah. 
If I serve him hard enough, if I give myself more than anything, then, then, then God will take care of me. Instead of believing God, God take care of me is a promise. God, you know, just as the music team sang in that, that song during the offertory from Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills, for the Lord is my helper. From where my helper comes, the Lord comes from there. And I trust that he's my helper, but it's not, it's not this direct connection and tie to how I live. He's what he says Instead, what we need to do is just fear God. Trust ourselves to the Lord. You know, Jesus, when Jesus came and God sent his own son, what did Jesus do? Jesus knew that God was God. And he trusted Jesus, he trusted his father to care for him and provide for him. And there were times when Jesus was blessed with people following him. And there were times, a whole lot of times, when there was suffering involved. I mean, his, his role was the suffering servant as the perfect human being. But it's, he served the Father because he feared him, and that followed. He, he didn't do it for self-aggrandizement, but out of trusting the love of the Father, which therefore enabled him to pursue the Father and live for the Father. After he talks about this, you know, why bother or what's the uh, injustice, he goes deeper into looking at the, perva- the pervasive sin uh, when he, t- well, he talks about wisdom in verse 19, he says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man, more than 10 rulers who are in a city. In other words, wisdom is helpful. It is a good thing to have happen, to have. He says, I'm not trying to throw out wisdom. Wisdom's a good thing. But he says, goes on to say, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. In other words, we want to have wisdom, but even when you have wisdom, even when you pursue wisdom, Part of what wisdom will tell you is you got to watch out for your own heart because it can be kind of slippery. You know, every, every one of us, even, even when we're, we're wisest, uh, we, we need to be humbled by being sinners. In other words, he says, have a high view of God and a, and a humble view of ourselves, And that's what it is to fear God. When you hear the Bible talk about fearing God, fearing God is recognize he's God. I'm not God. He's God. And so I, I live in the way that he works out the world, the way that he plays out every moment of every day. And I, it's, it's his world, it's his story, and I'm a, bit, I'm a bit player in his story, but he's brought me into his family. It's, it's living in light of the fact that he's the king. You ever talk about the word sovereign? It means that he's the king and that, that he, he rules all, all things. And so we want to have the, the humbling effect of fearing God as that which guides our steps. The second part, the last few verses here of the chapter, the second thought is where he says, okay, when we say that everybody's a sinner, it's really deep and it's a lot broader than we understand. He says in verse 25, I turned my heart to know and to search out and seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know, look at what he says, the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that was madness. Okay, those two things are... are He's looking to see how bad, bad really is, right? The wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And here's what he finds. It's so bad he calls it it's more bitter than death. Verse 26, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters, and he who pleases God escapes her. 
but the sinner is taken by her. Now, what's he talking about here? The, the, the bad sin. The, in the book of Proverbs, again, go back to Proverbs, it, it talks, it personifies foolishness. It personifies turning our back on God as, it calls it dame folly. The, this, this, it says, the falling away, the opposite of wisdom is foolishness, and living apart from God is pictured as this woman who's seductive and who's going to entice somebody off the course. And that's what it is he's referring to. And he says, you know, if you please God, you're going to dodge that. You're going to run away from it. But, but if your heart is prone to want to just live for your own self-direction, that I'm autonomous, I, I'm, I'm in charge of my life and where it goes and how it's going to unfold, uh, it, it's going to get, I'm going to get caught in it. And he elaborates on how successful she is. These verses that sounded real strange at the end of the chapter, he's talking about how successful Dame Folly is in pulling people you know, away from following God. He says, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I haven't found. So he says, I'm trying to figure this out, and I'm, the pieces are still coming together for me. And here's what he says. One man among, among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, what he's, what he's saying here is when he says one man among a thousand, he, he's, first of all, he, he's not being a misogynist, most likely. He's not throwing women under the bus and saying, you know, there's one man and women are worse than that. It's, it's kind of like when, when God, it's a figure of speech, of, of poetry that God would use. And you read, you're, sometimes you read it in the prophets. And the prophets, God will speak to a nation through the prophet. And he'll say, three things I have against you, four things are problems. And you're saying, well, is it three or four? Remember, when I, over the years, I'd read the Bible. I'd say, and he, and he, he would use that all the time. And I'd say, well, what, what, do I need to look for three things or do I need to look for four things? And it's, what it's trying to say is there's quite a bit. And it's a figure of speech. And that's what's going on here is it's a figure of speech. There, some of the commentators uh, suggest that the reason he said he couldn't find a woman among, among a thousand was because it's referring back to Solomon and he had a thousand wives and concubines and all of them were politically correct, connected. None of them were believers, followers of, of Yahweh. They were all following these idolatrous gods and kings and he got what he paid for. He should have known better. A thousand wives and concubines. What was he thinking? He, th he was supposed to be wise, but not, not in that area. And that's what led him astray. But anyway, the point is, you know, say about 2,000 people, he said there's one person who's righteous. And, and what he's saying is that this dame folly, the, the foolishness that we can get pulled into of saying, I can make life work without God. You're, it's, it's just seducing. And way more of us fall into it. In fact, he, he, he'll say, even the wise, you know, wise people fall into it, foolish people fall into it. Even when we're wise, we fall into the foolishness. Because it's going to pull us down. And he gives this, this picture of uh, Doug O'Donnell that Tim and I have referred to. He, he, he talks about it being like, de-evolution. He devolved. 
as, as he says there in, at the, that last verse 29. You know, we think of evolution where, you know, it start, you get the pictures where it starts with an ape and more and more grows until you got the homo sapien who's standing upright. Well, notice he says, verse 29, I found God made the man upright, but they've sought out many schemes. It's kind of going the other direction. It's devolving that our sin has caused us to be twisted and bent, uh, turning, turning away from God. That we, you know, our schemes are just about, I want to be self, you know, it's interesting. I had, I had typed in self-directed on my, on my sermon, and so I clicked on synonyms. You know, I want to flower it up for you a little bit. There's some synonyms, and it gave me autonomous and self-governing, and you know the other one it gave me? Sovereign. <laughs> Whoa! That's better than I can, I mean, that's... That's, that'll preach, right? That what he's, what the, the, whatever the, sor- the thesaurus is that's on my computer says that we want to be self-directed and we want to live trusting ourselves. We're wanting to be our own sovereign, which is pushing God out of the way uh, that he, he will no longer be uh, the, the sovereign uh, for me and before me. So, but here's the good news. Will, will these human schemes... All our sin, does it thwart God's will, what he's trying to accomplish? Does it push God out of the picture? Does it kind of extinguish our hope? I mean, you read, the writer of Ecclesiastes keeps talking about life under the sun. And life under the sun is life without God. And it can leave you pretty hopeless because you realize, you know, the bad people are bad, but the good people aren't so hot either. I mean, in a second, we're going to talk about, you know, government. And, you know, when you, you come into, you know, these elections and so on, and it's, you know, it's not the white hats and black hats so much, you know. It's, it's, a, it's much more of a mixed bag. Everybody, we're all a mess. But it's been like that for thousands of years. Okay, we, we should have seen that coming. We, we want it to be real clear. But it's, it's always, he says it's always a mixed bag. Well, the beautiful thing is God hasn't, left it so that wickedness is going to dominate and destroy it. It'll destroy you. If, I mean, if, you, if you bank on your, you being a sovereign, if you self-directing, of you being, being the, the autonomy in your, in your life, uh, it, it will wreck you. It might work great for a while. It might feel real good for a while, but eventually it, it really will uh, get you off the course. But God sent Jesus, and Jesus not only lived in the face of this wickedness, it, it's what killed him. It chased him down. He, the, the schemes were set against him, and he was killed. I mean, he, he hung, when he went to the cross, Paul writes and says, he that knew no sin became sin. He didn't just suffer under the evil. He, he became the evil for that moment. And that's why he was judged on the cross. That's why he was abandoned. That's why he cried out to his father, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken because he became sin. He became your sin. You put your trust in him. And, and, but in doing so, the second part of that says, so that we might become the righteousness of God. That even though we may seek to be wise and seek to be righteous, and, and it's real spotty in us. We have been made blameless, without blemish, righteous, if we've laid hold of Jesus, because he took, 
He took the penalty. He took the scourge. He took the shame. You know, I mean, do you have shame that kind of wrestles with your heart, with, with where your heart goes, where your mind goes, where your mouth goes? Jesus took the consequences where that shame leads in our place. And so he's, he's broken that hopelessness. Uh, Doug O'Donnell quotes Pascal. He says, knowing God without knowing our own wretchedness makes for pride. He says, knowing our own wretchedness without knowing God makes for despair. It's kind of where Koheleth was leading. He says, knowing Jesus Christ strikes the balance because he shows us both God and our own right, wretchedness. The hope is in Jesus. So we live in wisdom because the, within, in the face of the, the broken world, but we put our faith in, tri, in Christ, that we fear God and we press on, not trying to use God to manipulate him for ourselves, but just in fearing him because he's God and because Jesus has delivered us. The last part of this uh, is more brief. It's, it's about living in wisdom in light of the government. Uh, pretty timely. We've got Super Tuesday coming up in a week and a half. There was a caucus last night. So we're going to be, you know, we already have been for the last year. We're going to be hearing for the rest of this year a whole lot more about, about the leadership in our, in our country. He begins chapter 8 by saying, who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? He says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. So again, he starts this section out by saying wisdom is a good thing. It's a blessed thing. It's worth seeking. Okay? Don't try to seek it to manipulate God, to twist God, but, it, but it's a good thing and, and pursue it. But now he, 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 he applies the wisdom. And he applies it. And he says in verses uh, 2 through 4, he says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Now, the, that can be translated God's oath to him or his oath to God, but the, the picture is, all through Scripture, God is the one who puts the king in place. Now, just from the kings that we know he puts in place for Israel and for Judah, got some good kings, and you got a whole lot of bad kings. But God put them there. Even the other nations. The, the nations that come and attack God's people. God's people, Israel, were, were attacked by, you know, Assyria and Babylon. And those kings were put there by God. God even calls some of them his instrument, even though they were wicked as all get out. He put them in place. And so that's why this writer says, keep the king's command because of God's oath, oath to him. Don't be, be hasty not to go from his presence. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand with an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. In other words, don't, don't, don't try and go cause some insurrection because he's the king. You gotta trust where the king goes. He says, For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, What are you doing? So, what does this mean? What do we do with this? What he's telling them is wisdom, which brightens your face. In his wisdom, he says, Submit to authority. Whoever gets elected, submit to them. Now, of course, you know, we wrestle because in our country, you know. James Madison had the wisdom to bring in balance of powers. Okay, so the, the president's word is not supreme. The governor's word is not supreme. The mayor's word is not supreme. But, you know, what the government, the point is still, 
what the government puts before us, what the legislature maybe puts before and is signed by the governor or signed by the president, is, was put in place by God. And, and it's hard when it's pushing against what is right or, or righteous. But he doesn't make that distinction. You know, whether this was early in Israel, I mean, even Solomon, even if it was Solomon who actually wrote this, Solomon was pretty oppressive with the people he enslaved. And it, got, it went all downhill after him for most of the kings. And if this, is in the ex, if this was actually written in the exile, as some people think, they were under Persian rule. They were under some real bad kings during the time of the exile. I mean, Jesus, when Jesus was asked about taxes, what did he say? He says, render to Caesar what Caesar's. It wasn't because Caesar was a Christian. <laughs> it wasn't because Caesar was a godly king, because he wasn't. It's because Caesar was put in place by God, and he was the emperor. You can choose who to vote for in our country, but you don't get to choose who to obey. Right? That's hard. That's why you got to trust the Lord to do what he says when it doesn't seem to make any sense. It doesn't mean if you're told, if you're, if you're required by the government to do evil, to do wrong, that you do that. That's a different story. But there's not that much that's required that's evil, apart from taxes. But... <laughs> But even Jesus said, give to, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give him the taxes. He didn't tell them not to pay their taxes. You know, don't, don't, don't compromise with, with your behavior, you know, but be loyal and obedient. I mean, a lot of you are military or have been military, and you get it because you've got a commander-in-chief. Whether the commander-in-chief was, you know, Trump or Obama or Bush or Clinton or Bush, or Reagan, or Carter. I mean, your commander-in-chief is a commander-in-chief, and you obey what he says, because he's the commander-in-chief. That's what you do. Um, so that gives, I mean, you understand what it, what it is he's talking about. I mean, God designed, you know, we pray for our elections, and, God, and we believe God answers prayers. You know, we, the last time we voted for our governing officials in Virginia, God answered our prayers. And they look at it and say, You may not like how he answered them. Sometimes he answers them in, in judgment. <laughs> Sometimes he, he, you know, he, God, God knows what he's doing. It's, it's those, they're hard questions. O'Donnell writes, insubordination to those that God puts over you, whether it be your teachers or your parents or bosses or presidents or governors, says it shows the attitude of ingratitude and mistrust to God. I mean, at least we get to vote. They, you know, they had Caesar. They had uh, Peter. I'm going to hear here's some verses from Peter, uh, that Peter writes in his first letter. He says, Be subject to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. You know who the emperor was? Nero. Nero, as I said, Mississippi was showing up bad. He was evil. He, he was burning Christians, he was killing Christians. He says, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors that the, the emperor sends to punish those who are evil and to praise those who do good, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, the family of God, fear God, honor the emperor. So Paul, in his letter to Timothy, the church, the church that was in Ephesus, he says, 
urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And here's why. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in any way. They may be as bad as can be, but as we honor them, as we do what's right, they'll stay out of our hair and we can be faithful trying to live godly lives before him. That's the wisdom. I mean, the, the, these Peter and Paul are just writing out the wisdom, that the, uh, the New Testament side of it, of confirming what it was that Ecclesiastes had seen. And we don't need to fear the rulers because he says in verses 8 and 9, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. In other words, good rulers or even bad kings are going to die eventually. Of course, most of ours, we just vote out. But, you know, you, you don't control the future. And they don't control the future. So the good thing is God is God. God's the one who controls the, the future. And even though death is a nemesis, you know, that rulers can't defeat, uh, death tramples plan, their plans, you know, death mocks their, their achievements. As Hubbard notes, you know, because we have Christ's resurrection for us, we, we have hope with a capital H, okay? The, the, the rulers can, may, might be defeated by death. Our own earthly plans might be defeated by death. But you're never defeated by death if you've embraced Christ. It's a promotion that you win. And so they... Death can be a rescue by taking out the kings, or it can be a rescue by him taking out us. Hubbard points out, he says, the preacher's motto was look at life and scale back your hopes. Okay, he was looking at life under the sun. He was leaving God out of it. Jesus said, trust me and you find hope, whether it's in light of wherever the government's headed, whether it's in light of this world where sin pervades. In Jesus, we have hope even as we live in a world uh, that's dark. And so we fear God because of what Jesus has done for us. And he's given us a favorable, favorable relationship with him. So let's pray and ask God to help us as he puts us in this world. Father, thank you for uh, wisdom, although wisdom doesn't always play out real neatly. Uh, as uh, Koheleth has told us, uh, we thank you that uh, you, you, you call it to us, call, call us to it, you recommend it to us, uh, and you give it to us through your son Jesus. You say you don't have and so you don't ask, so ask for wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom. Make us men and women, children, and just act, constantly say, Lord, give me wisdom. Make me wise. We may not feel wise, but we believe you answer prayer and that uh, you'll give us wisdom in situations. Um, but we don't help us also not use that wisdom to coerce you, just to fear you, just to honor you, to trust you, because of what you've done for us in Jesus. And we ask this all in his name. Amen.